Hey guys, welcome to episode 43 of I4O. Um, I am Matt Slavin, joined today by two very handsome fellows. Uh, one of them is a special guest, aka very frequent member of the show, and it looks like the trailer is still playing, so let me fix that while I do this. Irvin, how is it going? Doing pretty well, uh, Matt. Nice. And I am joined by none other than the one and only Brian Thompson. How's it going? I don't know if I can live up to that. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, you are an individual human, so there is only one oh, and only of you. So. I suppose. Yeah, that's true. Because your fingerprint. <laughs> um, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. There you go. That's it. Um, so we have a good bit of news today. Um, and it's actually kind of a blessing in disguise that we started recording um, just like a, a, a day late. So for those of you who were expecting a show yesterday, um, we apologize for the delay, but uh, it comes with news. We were able to add something to the tail end of this show that just broke today. So uh, without further ado, just to get into the first topic, which is more, it's less of a topic and more of just like a tribute to one of the brightest minds of our generation, Mr. Stephen Hawking, who has passed away this past weekend at the age of 76. So um, just one of the most, uh, this, I, I mean, there's no way to describe it. I mean, he's one of the most celebrated minds of this last century. And his book, A Brief History of Time, um, was a bestseller for 237 weeks and on top of that, I think he there was even reports that he did have a uh, a publishing that he was working on or a, a piece that he was working on um, towards the end of his life that uh, people were saying would have guaranteed he earned a Nobel Prize. But his passing, um, I think, omits. I think you need to I think they can't posthumously award uh, Nobel Prizes. But I just wanted to uh, just kind of do a tribute to one of the greater minds in science and just kind of make that something that was known. Um, but, but yeah, so I'll leave an article in the show notes kind of talking about his life and his successes and just some general information about this person uh, who I'm sure that everybody knows of. And if not, I encourage you to look into his uh, influence. He's been on the Simpsons and on and referenced and cameoed and, dozens of tv shows cartoons likenesses so yeah and there's um, also a movie made about him so mm -hmm. there's yeah that, that was a good was, movie that was really good movie actually um it was uh what happened to him his condition talks about um how he became who he is and how he became the famous um person that he he is today um and right. why he is that yeah, way it's a biographical piece yeah right and um, there's a couple of tweets that are towards the end of this article, which I'm not showing on the screen. Um, and it says that um, he uh, was one from Jeremy Hunt that I liked in particular. It says he was a defining force in the world of science whose loss will be felt in every corner of the globe. Um, he was a hero to me as one of the greatest ever thinkers and inspired with courage as well as his words. So someone who overcame a lot of physical um, complications and issues and I think they said that when he was 21, he was given a two-year diagnosis with his yeah. um, condition, which was uh, he had ALS for anyone who didn't know. And he lived from 21 to 76 with that condition. So 
the man was fortunate enough to be able to publish some of his greatest works and share his mind with the world. So Yeah. Most people with ALS typically live about no more than three years after mm-hmm. their diagnosis, which is um just crazy that's to think that how long he lived with the condition that he had yep. um and we're all glad for it because a lot of uh, amazing discoveries came from his research right yeah but um but yeah so I'll, I'll leave that in the show notes for anybody who does want some additional information on him um but yeah so mr hawking born in 1942 uh, all the way to 2018 so um, I don't really know how to segue from that into another article, but I'm going to go ahead and just talk about Rihanna now <laughs> and <laughs> make it happen. Yeah. So um, Rihanna has been protesting an ad and I'm sure that anybody who's been on one of Buzzfeed or any of these articles or even Snapchat has maybe even seen this yourself. Um, she was protesting an ad on Snapchat that mocks domestic violence. And um, for those of you who are watching the live stream, I have the ad up on the show and it says uh, it's an ad that has would you rather and the first option is to slap Rihanna or the second option is to punch Chris Brown and uh, I think we've seen something similar to this from Facebook. I don't know if we necessarily reported on it but um, there's been a heavy backlash of um, of malicious or um, ignorant ads getting through into various forms of social media and uh, people are calling for um, more of a vetting process for these ads, and uh, I don't. This is this just kind of comes a little bit like one too late for Snapchat, like one you extra know, nail in the coffin for them almost. They they don't seem to have any adult supervision over there. They're just uh, I don't yeah. know. Also, that Snapchat that that feed to the right, wherever it is, maybe I'm I'm getting to the age where it, I just don't get it, but it just seems like pure cancer every time I fly swipe over there. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd have to agree with that. It seems like a bunch of high schoolers are creating these ads. Mm-hmm. I mean, they know their yeah. target audience, which is fairly young, but yeah, like they're that's, also the marketers. That's pretty much exactly who they're targeting because yeah, Snapchat's biggest um, demographic has always been millennials and the generation that comes after them and. It's just another uh, thing that they're just riding this wave of millennial popularity. And I think that leads to a lot of corners being cut when making design decisions and uh, random like applications like this. And just even the ad platform, which made this and it's very possible that this may not even be the fault of Snapchat. This could just be the fault of whatever ad platform they're hosting on their service. But the problem is, is that without any kind of vetting process, it's hard for the platform itself to know exactly what kind of content that they're allowing to, for a lack of better words, on their site. So, and um, as for anybody who may have been an investor in Snapchat at the time, um, you would have seen that the stock went down more than 4%. So this is very similar to um, uh, when uh, Kylie Jenner um, spoke out about Snapchat and tanked their stock. <laughs> so kind of in the same note as what you guys were talking about earlier, um, millennials and by the by like a transitive property, their role models have a very direct impact on the success of this company. And it shows in both their stock and in the 
recent several waves of the delete Snapchat movement and all these delete social media movements that we're seeing happen from over the past week or so. Um, but yeah, so that comment that she had is has been liked over 377,000 times uh, when she tweeted that. And the, the day of her tweet, the company's stock dropped and bottomed out at a high of 7%. So it's been down 4% since. Um, so. Gone back up a little bit. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's kind of crazy that just by yep. someone posting on Twitter, although both Kylie Jenner and Rihanna are huge in terms of, of popularity and we get huge audiences, right? So just them right. tweeting about it will affect the way that investors think because I think the people who are fans of those celebrities are, there's a lot of, lot of uh, similarity between those people and the users of Snapchat right? in terms of yeah. the age group that they attract and things like that. So the investors, as soon as they, they see these uh, types of tweets, they they uh, um, freak out a little bit and start selling, selling, and mm-hmm. then that causes these, these kind of drops. Um, right. And it's it's it makes sense that they would do that. Right. And uh, these movements are dangerous because um, and we keep going. I, I, I keep going back to this. The whole uh, millennials are their primary demographic and the young people are their primary demographic. And I say that because um, they're the quickest demographic to just up and leave a platform off of word of mouth alone. Right. Yeah. So um, this recent swath of bad press could very easily uh chip away at large numbers of their primary demographic, um, which, as we were mentioning, is not a good look for Snapchat at all. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I got to hand it to Rihanna, though. I mean, <laughs> it had an effect. Obviously, message was received. Hopefully, they'll do something to correct that or these marketing campaigns that are a little vicious. Right. Yeah. And um, one of the reasons why this is important, I think, is... Uh, because it is quick to target the platform for this, but um, having seen and worked with a little bit of these ad platforms behind the scenes, a lot of it is pulled in from a public API or a public service that are through services that are vetted by the website in some way, shape, or form. So while it is the fault of Snapchat that this eventually ended up getting published onto their um onto their devices and onto um, any user who may have seen this ad. Um, it's also the fault of these ad platforms that are so quick to get this uh, product to market in such a way that um, there isn't vetting on the back end as well as the front end. So it's one of those things where I think there, for at least the moment, there should be some kind of, especially with all the news and politics we have about ads from fake news and being bought by state actors. I think it's something it would, it would behoove some of these social media companies to have um, peer review of ads before they make it to the public domain and into the eyes of their various demographics, because it's a dangerous precedent to have um, rampant deregulation or regulation of advertising. So I think it's dangerous at least. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, and also, uh, just this, it's a perfect segue um, into our next topic, actually. Snapchat isn't the only one this week um, who has run into some issues. Facebook um, has been under a bit of a, a, a storm 
And there's been articles out there saying Mark Zuckerberg's being destroyed by the media and uh, Facebook is being ruined by um, social, like by the, the Cambridge Analytica breach. And um, this actually is something that I really wanted to make. Like it, we, we don't do the focus points anymore for our show, but like if I could have picked one, it's this for sure, because this is a flagrant and blatant misuse of our data. And it deserves, I think, I think it deserved a better segue than I gave it. So, <laughs> but um, this, this is another example of Facebook blatantly ignoring any kind of protection around the massive amount of data that it collects. And I don't know if any of you guys had heard any of the backstory on this and want to jump off on it, Irvin. I know we were talking about it a little bit earlier today. Yeah. So, this, um, yeah, this sort of. For me, it, it, I missed it because I was just, I was offline most of the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried to be, um, but uh, safe practice, <laughs> safe, safe practice. But um, this sort of missed. I, I missed the story completely because I yeah. didn't hear anything about it until you mentioned it to me. Right. I heard whispers here and there when I briefly went on Twitter over the right. weekend just for a couple minutes here and there. I was like, man, eh, what is that? I never dug any further than that because right. the news broke on Friday night or Friday. Uh, yeah. the, <laughs> that's where news goes to die is on a Friday because nobody's paying attention. Everyone's looking forward to yeah. the weekend. So which uh, part do you want to hear first? Do you want to hear about the security <laughs> breach part of it where it's just a normal security issue? Mm-hmm. Or do you want to hear about the the crazy underlying uh, hidden details to those Facebook quizzes that we see everybody fill in <laughs> that um, were part of the issue. There's, this is a multifaceted abuse and yeah. a multifaceted issue. And it took a whistleblower to, yeah. to get this uncovered. Um, so if you, I, I can go in and, and talk a little bit more about this just because I'm, I'm all fired up now. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's, just ridiculous so okay so just to go into the data breach um cambridge analytica discovered a flaw in how facebook secures its data and i say secure with a very thin sense of the word i I say secure in the same way that i say unsecure in this sense (laughs) like there's just no effort for safety here so uh, while i don't have the specifics of the breach uh, it allowed them to basically just acquire massive amounts of data without having to go through Facebook's normal process of data selling and handling to third-party companies. Because companies have always gone to Facebook and uh, reached out. Facebook will sell them the data collected on their platform to uh, to support a means to that company's end. And th- it's a fair trade. Everything's all good, but not in this case. So... Cambridge Analytica um, exploited this, and um, as it would turn out, the exploitation and Cambridge Analytica itself at the time was apparently funded by alt-right groups um, and groups that were sponsored by Steve Bannon, who we all know was recently let go from his position or earlier last year from his position in the White House. Um, and they exploited data, which would have and there's 50 million people just to put that number out there so quite a, a large number of people had their data breached um but on top of that um they uh, i'm trying to collect my thoughts here so they 
had a breach of their data, which they through those Facebook quizzes that I hinted at earlier in the segment. Um, so you guys have all seen those stupid Facebook quizzes that show up mm-hmm. in your feed. And yeah. I'm not bashing anybody who does the quizzes, but um, maybe after I'm done what I'm about to say, you may want to rethink that. Um, but yeah, so the the Facebook quizzes where it's like, oh, name your favorite dog or like which one or like which – uh, Marvel character are you or yeah. like whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We've we've, yeah. all, we've all seen them. If you're on Facebook, you're yeah. gonna see them because yeah. literally a lot of I your friends all are doing them. For, <laughs> I won't be seeing it for long because I'm probably gonna end up deleting my Facebook shortly after um, over the next several days just because I've I've had it with Facebook. But mm-hmm. um, so okay to go into it, um, I, something you know. People do those quizzes and something you may think they might be dumb to you, but something you may not have known is that Facebook not only collects your data when you fill in those quizzes, but they also collect the personal information of everybody in your friends list as well as you. So through a quiz uh, and the name of the quiz is called This Is Your Digital Life, um, which which hosted the exploit required to get. Um, the friends list information of anybody who took that quiz, um, they were able to only through probably, I think it was like a few thousand, maybe several thousand people. And as a result of that, they were able to get mm-hmm. 50 million users yeah. information. And uh, that's not even like, I wish that was the end. I wish that was where that stopped. But um, this whistleblower, um, whose name is, um, I think his name is Christopher Wiley. Um, he mentioned that he, he was working for Cambridge Analytica at the time. Um, they exploited Facebook to harvest millions of people's profiles and built models to exploit what we knew about them and target their inner demons. That was the basis the entire company was built on. That's a direct quote from Christopher Wiley. So they... They wrote software to target users on Facebook from various countries and political origins um, to target uh, politically charged and um, inflammatory advertising at them. Most of it fake news and fake um, generated ad for propaganda purposes. And the best part was um, these ads were primarily used in 2016 in the UK during the UK election and Brexit and during um, the presidential election. So while we're avoiding going into any sort of politics on this show and um, I neither I don't I don't make a stance on how the outcome of the election happened or anything like that, um, this data breach could have very well have been used to do social engineering on people who would have been voting in those elections. And they very well could have been politically charged by news that was completely falsified and targeted specifically at them because their personally identifiable information was given away. Right. It's like a form of psychological profiling on a mass scale. Right. Yeah. It's information war is what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. It, and because of this um, and we've talked about this also, the EU has massive amounts of regulation in place around what kind of personal information yep. you're collecting and how, and that you have to disclose it. Yep. So, and, and GDPR is what I think you're referring to is about to go in place uh, yep. in Europe. And um, mm-hmm. 
yeah, in a couple, I think end of March, um, if I'm not, if I'm not incorrect. Uh, yeah, so the, the GDPR regulations within Europe will severely restrict what type of information um, that incorporates uh, is the right collect. to be forgotten, right? Uh, the right to be forgotten has been a thing for quite a while, but it's okay. sort of related to that. Um, but now if any, if a company wants to collect any personal information about you at all, you have to first give consent to that okay. website and say, yes, I agree. You can collect this information about me and you have to know exactly what they're collecting. You can't just say, yeah, whatever, just collect you. They have to list exactly what they're collecting, name, addresses, phone numbers, whatever they might be. They have to now that's the regulation. If you're in Europe and you're using a, a service, which is mainly operating in your, I mean, it is operating in Europe. Um, now you have to, they have to give, ask you permission yeah. for them to actually store any of that personal information. Yeah. And like this, you're, you're not going to know this. Like, no, I guarantee you that. And I I certainly didn't know. Nobody knows that when you fill those quiz out, they take the information of everybody on the friends list, whether or not. Right. Like, so if you have a friend who lives in Europe, they get their info that circumvents the GDPR. That's illegal. Yeah. And you, you, you might be thinking it's like, oh, I never did one of those quizzes. I'm safe. Nope. It doesn't matter as long as one of your friends did it. You're part yeah. of this league. <laughs> you saw a quiz on your feed. Your information's out there at least. Yeah, once. yeah, yeah. Especially um, if this exploit, because like we were saying, Facebook doesn't really take that many steps to make things safe for their data. They literally just host and sell data. Um, it's this is only what we know about. So right. for this all is... we know, there could be government, state-sponsored right. exploits, not only just from Cambridge Analytica but from any other sources because I know that Russian hacking has been a huge problem lately and I know that um, state-sponsored actors and even things like um, some of the issues and hacking coming from China, North Korea, like it's only the beginning, I think, of these types of issues. And especially now that people have their minds turned towards security lately and you're seeing a lot more security exploits come out. Like I know we talked about the, I think the Intel and AMD. Did we talk about the AMD? breaches that happen no we did not i don't um, think because that happened in between yeah that happens af- that happened after the last three show oh right yeah so yeah. um uh, yes yeah, we can get into that um yeah at a, at a later point but that's, there's a, that's a, little, a fun story as well <laughs> yeah we can actually if you want to add that uh, right after this one we can go into that one yeah um, yeah that's a good one there's not a whole lot of information but it's good um so Okay, so going back to this one though, um, and it gets better, trust me. <laughs> so they were four, on Friday, four days after the observer saw a comment for this story. Um, but at more than two years after the data breach was first reported, Facebook announced that it was suspending Cambridge Analytica and Kogan from the platform pending further information over misuse of data. So it was only after a media group came to Facebook to say, hey, there's been a huge breach on your website. Can we get some more information on this? And they were like, oh, you know, we just banned them. <laughs> like, oh, like, what? What <laughs> What kind of like crazy world is this? Yeah. Facebook, like, and then on top of that, like, they're, they have, there's alleged reports of them being in cahoots with Duterte and Philippines funding and um, helping with his regime and their thought police to control Philippine media and Facebook users. There's issues with Facebook over um, backlash from India over them trying to offer their proprietary internet service 
over an open internet to third world countries and third world parts of India and areas around there. Um, like this is just like one more thing and that people see left and right where it's just, like I said, it's just flagrant abuse of people's private information. Oh. And I don't even like someone else talk. I, I can't even do this. <laughs> it's just like it, the, it's like the wild west on Facebook. Yeah, it definitely is. And I don't know if Mark Zuckerberg is aware of what is happening he or is willingly letting yeah, all he's, this. he's aware. He knows. He has to, right? Yeah. And like Facebook, even like during the, the campaign, like we, this goes back to even when uh, we were like people were accusing Facebook of saying like, oh, um, you're not doing anything about the blatant and rampant misuse of your ad platform, just like we talked about with Snapchat. Yeah. And they were like, oh, it's not us. We didn't do it. There's there's no use of us in, in the election. And then there was they found out that there was hundreds of millions of dollars spent on advertising that was used for um, political targeting that was yeah. not vetted by any official political party. Right. And, and there's strict rules around that. Anytime you do any political ads, you have to clearly state where the money's coming from. If you do it on TV, you do it on radio, anything like that. There are strict laws against, uh, for those types of advertisements. And there's nothing governing any online advertisements. There's no, there's no regulation um, prohibiting or stating you have to know exactly where this money comes, who's funding this ad, who who's it going to, all of that. Um, and I think that needs some, something like that well, needs to be in place. Like we talked about in earlier episodes, Facebook is now the world's largest provider of news. So why is there no regulation on that? Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's just like, like anybody who go like, and that's the that's the problem that I have with Facebook. Like they give you all these little options to tweak your news feed and like mm-hmm. tweak who sees it, and they give you this like false sense of security that you have control right. over what kind I, of data you're sharing with people, yeah. but you don't. You I don't specifically went to over my security settings a couple of weeks ago. I didn't know anything about this. I didn't know what was going to leak, but for I felt like I needed to go through every single security setting, and I made it so that. Nobody else can see any other information on my feed except friends. There's like the setting is a friends of friends, like nothing. I'm in the, if you're not my friend, you can't see anything. Oh, mine's the same way on Facebook. And even though I did that, that means literally nothing in this particular leak because uh, if someone in my feed has done that, the the this quiz, it's part of this leak. Right. Yeah. Like I've, I've done that. Like I've done that too on Facebook. Like no one can see my, like no friends of friends can see my Facebook feed. Like no one can see that. It, I've even gone to the extent where I have to approve the posts that get shared on my Oh wall. yeah. Oh yeah. I've, like, def- I've done that for years now because yeah. you never know who's yes, going to yeah. tag you some, some stupid crap and then you have to find a right. way to untag it. No. Right. Anything. Irvin, I'm going to tag you on so many things. <laughs> it's fine. It's not going to show up on anything. Cause yeah, me like, neither. Yeah. And, go um, ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> and the best part was, is that um, much like it's not going to go anywhere, this data didn't go anywhere either. Um, this data was obtained and used without permission. And because the GSR was not authorized to share or sell it to you, it couldn't be used legitimately. And they, there's arguments from US and UK legal teams saying that it must be destroyed immediately and 
Facebook did not pursue a response when the letter initially went unanswered for weeks because Wiley was traveling, nor did it follow up with forensic checks on his computers or storage. And they waited two years and did absolutely nothing to ensure that data was deleted. And all they asked Wiley to do was to tick a box on a form and send it back to them. So I'm having a hard time believing this is the only instance of this. Oh, it's not. The amount of quizzes that float around out there, we don't know who else is collecting data like this. Yeah, I guarantee you 100% certainty that this is, like, it's probably similar in that way to when Volkswagen was cheating and then you saw reports coming Mm -hmm. out later about Mm -hmm. other car makers who were doing the same stuff. It's, they're the first to get caught. Right. And this is the world that we live in now because you have all these, like, starry-eyed Silicon Valley developers who come up and want to make the world a better place and security takes a backseat to that and next thing you know you have these data breaches on a scale that we've never seen before so like like people facebook has a legal obligation to let people know about this breach at least the users and inform them like there's there's got to be a way for them to get this list of people who did this quiz in some way shape or form if they have any kind of respect for their data that they have there has to be some way for them to do this and the I fact at this point it's about respect for their users they, right. they know so many people are going to be hooked for the rest of their lives or <laughs> right yeah. perceivably as long as facebook lasts that they're not even going to worry about it they're not yeah. going to worry about pr they're not going to i mean the stock took a hit but they'll go you know what we're the largest marketing and news organization in the world mm-hmm. we'll survive yep. this no problem yep and uh, and it's it's also this was all under the guise of a research organization too, yeah. so the, the, these breaches can come from anywhere, and at any time, and there's arguably nothing that you as a user can do about it unless you delete your Facebook, and that honestly I think would be the best possible way to send them a message saying that you don't approve of this and then i love how um when you go through the steps to delete your facebook they like try to guilt you (laughs) they like they try to like they show you like friends and it's like tell them why you're leaving (laughs) yeah he's he's gonna miss you matt's matt's gonna miss you when you leave facebook it's better if they like edited like tears on their (laughs) crying it's an animation yeah (laughs) Just like trying to guilt you into leaving. I'm like, oh, yeah. don't go. Like, these are the people we're gonna miss. This is you, you're not gonna be able to message them. I have the phone of- number. I, it's called text messaging Facebook. Have you heard of it? Fill out this Facebook quiz as to why you're leaving Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh my god. But yeah, but, <laughs> but um, yeah, I encourage anybody to to quit Facebook. And I know it's tough in this world that we live yeah. in where we're uh, basically goaded into going for the clicks and getting all the likes on, on, on like, it's like, a, it's like a dopamine trigger for people where they yeah. no longer need to do that kind of stuff in person. And, um, and it's, it's going to be tough for people because there's people who have, who host content on these platforms and, um, for anybody who's wondering, like ourselves, <laughs> yeah, this is really great podcast that has some pretty cool people on it that does Facebook stuff. But that's not going anywhere. We're going to leave this on Facebook. But um, for the stragglers who are around and the people who hold out for various reasons, because I know some people do use the platform to keep in touch with family and yeah, friends for sure. And um, yeah. it's a very it's a 
it's an extremely valid platform for doing that. But then again, it's not too hard to go back to what you were doing 10 years ago and just having their numbers saved on your phone and calling them whenever you need to get in touch or organizing. You know, here's an idea. Use Google Calendar. You can share that <laughs> with people. Organize it that way. Oh, Easy enough. yeah. Who do we trust? Or Google. Yeah, move all your data to Google. <laughs> It's, it, that, that's a whole different yeah. debate. Totally we different we, we need a couple more shows for that discussion. Yeah, because your data is essentially controlled by one of Facebook, Google, or Amazon in some way, shape, or form, or Apple, maybe the, the distant fourth one, but they do the least with your data, uh, as they, supposedly, as they say. We've seen breaches and heard whispers, but um, supposedly they do the least with it. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Like... Uh, there's there's plenty of information in the show notes for anybody who does want to follow up on this. Um, and I do have another link, which I wanted to kind of highlight on the show before we did move on. Um, and it's just one more nail in the coffin, just for anybody who wants to just give his headline a quick read. Um, Facebook privately welcomed the help of the whistleblower, uh, Christopher Wiley in this case. But then they publicly suspended his account after they got the information they needed from him. So, um, if this isn't shady, I really don't know what is to you. <laughs> right. So they didn't announce it for two weeks. They let the breach happen. Um, there was an exploit in their data, and on top of that, they now know they have no idea where this data is if it was deleted, and it's been floating around for two plus years now. So um, it's only a matter of time until we hear more news on on what happens after the fact. If only there was uh, some kind of major competitor for Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> this company. Like, really yeah. Like, yeah. Where, where are you now, MySpace Tom? <laughs> yeah. MySpace, come back from. Geographic. Yeah, come back from your Hawaii trips and <laughs> start bringing back MySpace. Make MySpace great again. <laughs> but, like, the to go back on onto this topic for one thing, like, the, the one thing that sticks with me is the quote from Chris Wiley where he says that it was the basis the entire company of Cambridge Analytica was built on data farming and exploiting um, people and targeting their inner demons. Like just, just let that sink in. Like that was their whole business model was mind games with 50 million people through various elections. I'm, and, I'm sure there are plenty more of those out there. Right. Sure there are way many, or there are many more opportunities outside of Facebook. Facebook was just the easiest one to exploit at the time. Right. Yeah, and for anybody who does um, get their their news from um, from Facebook or in any way, I encourage you to um, move your searches away from Facebook and just some some links for you guys, or not some links, but just some to name some names of different places you can go. There are the big media platforms like CNN, Fox, NBC uh, in the US. And then I think uh, the UK is like BBC. Um, there's a, a couple others. Independent is another one, independent.co. Uh, the, in Germany, I think you have Der Spiegel, which I'm sure has a solid online presence. Um, uh, that's really all I know off the top of my head. <laughs> but uh, And then there's also platforms like NPR, the Associated Press, uh, various like free media platforms 
that aren't in it for a profit and is just for the spread of information as it is. And I would even encourage, like, oh, go to BuzzFeed, like go go anywhere, really. Just go off of the platform of Facebook for your news, especially if you're in the United States and you're paying particularly close attention to this congressional election that's coming up later this year. Try to avoid um, taking things with a grain of salt. Try to avoid headlines. Read the articles go through, find whatever way it works for you. Like there's, Irvin, you told me about this app called Reedy for Android. I think it was you who said it. Oh, um, yeah. An app where you just, it just will run the words by um, and you just look at it. Instead of having to scroll and read an article, it just gives you the text at face value. Um, it makes reading it for me, at least for trying to digest articles more than one article quickly yeah this is it's a really good way to do that um so please vet your information before you go creating facebook quizzes about it because someone's going to take that data <laughs> so it's just uh, an important psa that I, I wanted to bring up but um it is what it is um but we to to kind of segue off that for a little bit and move in to some other news um, we've talked a little bit about cryptocurrency in the past before, and I'm pretty sure that anybody who's been paying any sort of attention to the crypto markets has noticed that um, prices of the major ones, at least on Coinbase and across the board, have been tanking at a pretty impressive rate. Uh, I haven't checked Bit- or Bitcoin and Ethereum as of today, but the last time I looked, I think Bitcoin was hovering around 7000 and Ethereum was hovering probably closer to five hundred dollars. Actually, last time I checked, it was up. It was up. Nope. Okay. Nope. It's yeah. back down again. Yeah, let me let me, <laughs> check, let me let me check Coinbase here. See where we're at. So, so uh, the current price of Bitcoin for those of you who are listening, this is uh this is Crypto Trader with I four O coming in. So, <laughs> uh, Bitcoin is now selling at eight thousand four hundred and fifty nine dollars. It is up from $7,800 as of this morning. Ethereum is coming in at $545 even. It's rare we don't see any pennies involved in the currency. Um, Up $30 from the past day. And the uh, third popular coin, Litecoin, is up $999. This sounds like an ad now. From (laughs) $158.50. Down from $148.51. Um, but yeah, so that's where we're at with crypto. And um, because of that, some of the major issues is because of some of these ICOs that are coming out. And oh, What's an ICO? Man. Wow. It's <laughs> glad you asked, Irvin. <laughs> an ICO <laughs> is an initial coin offering, um, usually by a smaller company used to fund the product behind their cryptocurrency. Or in the case of... <laughs> A lot of these guys used to rapidly make money and then disappear. Yeah, there, so, there a lot of times there's ag- no actual product behind uh, the these ICOs. Um, yes. It's just Unlike typically, the- yeah, <laughs> it's just typically like a white paper that describes this future product that might happen at some point, and it yeah. never actually turns out to be anything. They're just collecting all this money, and a lot of the times they are disappearing. Yeah. And um, this this website's account. wrong. This website is very wrong. Twitter is not a micro blogging platform. Twitter uh, is a <laughs> Twitter. They allow now 280 characters. It is you can get a whole lot of your thoughts out in 280 characters. But yeah, okay, back to the serious stuff. 
but yeah, it's they uh, Twitter had announced, and this is the actual article that I'm sharing now that I'm going into it. Uh, they announced uh, by Facebook in January. Wait, they announced by I didn't even. Oh, it follows an announcement by Facebook. Sorry, I misread that. That it would begin prohibiting ads that promote financial products and services, which are frequently associated with misleading and deceptive promotional activities, which is a fancy way of saying uses Bitcoin in transactions. Um, so or uses uses the 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 clout of the clout, not the cloud, the clout of Bitcoin or yeah. cryptocurrencies to real people in to get them to give them money which they might not get anything return. The hacker 4chan, the hacker 4chan and his blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> oh darn him. <laughs> but, hacker um, man. Yeah. Hacker man. Too far in time. Yeah, last week Wednesday <laughs> Google also announced that it would be to restricting the ads for cryptocurrencies mm-hmm. uh, related to the, the this type of content. The offering for doing uh, ICO uh, related advertisement, cryptocurrency exchanges, can't even do ads, wallets, trading services or trading advice services, uh, which are like, uh, what, analysts? Yeah, pretend to know everything about Bitcoin. You go to them. It's like, ooh, which which one should I trade? Today? It's like that ad for that crypto genius where it's just that one guy's face that was plastered everywhere. And let me... <laughs> Let me see if I can find him real quick. Let me see. The crypto genius. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, both Facebook ba- uh, and Google and now, now Twitter have been ads uh, using uh, against these um, this guy. initial coin offerings. Yeah. It's the crypto genius. He reveals the crypto genius. <laughs> Everyone's seen this before. Um, what's his, his, his name? He has a name. I forget his name. But, yeah. Okay. So... Going back, yeah, it's James Altucker, I think. Um, But yeah, so there's a lot of abuse of advertising in cryptocurrency. And I'm I'm pretty sure this is one of the ads that's going to get banned. So I think it's the end of the line for Mr. Crypto Genius here (laughs) with his beautiful sweeping hair. Like, I honestly thought this was a Photoshop picture of Bill Gates for a little bit. But (laughs) that's just just an off-the-rail thing that I wanted to bring up. But... But yeah, so going away from that, and I encourage anybody to just Google search Crypto Genius and just flip it to an image search and it shows up right away. Um, but uh, yeah, so there's there's a lot of problems with cryptocurrencies right now as the market begins to mature and people yeah. are starting to attempt to regulate, not necessarily regulate the coin itself, but they're regulating the introduction of these ICOs in order to introduce some kind of a control to the market. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not. I won't be surprised if we see a lot of these larger ICOs get taken down because they're not legitimate products, or some of these smaller ones that flash in and out real quick. Um, I think we'll see a lot less of them going forward, and I think we'll start seeing more legitimate cryptocurrencies, which I think in the end will be way better for the market than this rampant abuse. Because I don't know if you guys saw the latest John Oliver um, over the past weekend or two week two weeks ago. Yeah, um, two weeks ago, yeah. where he um, mentioned the the literal advertising for pump and dump schemes, mm-hmm. where like the the fact that like that would be illegal in literally any other market except for cryptocurrency. Um, so hopefully this may not necess- it may not bring a stop to that in particular, but it will definitely slow things down a bit for some of these bad actors um, and hopefully bring some regulation into that space. Um, but 
uh, yeah. So, um, and just to kind of segue into this a little bit, and then we'll go back up because I totally just steamrolled over that last topic. Um, they were um, the SEC, uh, the Security U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, is probing cryptocurrencies, going kind of on what we were talking about a little bit earlier. Um, they're probing the market in the hopes that they can unveil a lot of these, um, as we were saying, misuse of ICOs and cryptocurrency startups. Um, so, um, what do you guys think? Do you guys think that the crypto markets are going to recover in any meaningful way? I want to get your thoughts on on this, just because I've been leading the, the charge here for the you most know, part. I mean, the, these initially, I mean, Bitcoin started it all, right? So, Bitcoin's idea was to be this decentralized currency uh, with no regulation behind it. It was controlled by the people. Um, but it needs some kind of regulation because if you don't do it, then who's going to be, who's going to protect anyone from, from investing every single penny that they have. I mean, I guess that's, that's the right to do so if they want to, right. They see Mm -hmm. the future, (laughs) but there has to be right now, but there has to be some regulation put in or there's some protections against, and I, I see why the SEC is looking into this. Um, I think it's good, but I think it also goes exactly against what Bitcoin and all these other cryptocurrencies are, are created, were created all against. All cryptocurrencies are right? created equal. No, so <laughs> it's... Not, it's they're not equal. <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> Dogecoin is the best out of all of them. I like <laughs> because That's my favorite pe- thing. because Dogecoin. it started as a joke and it's now it's worth sad. real mo- money. Yeah, the creator been... went on Twitter like, "You guys, what are you doing? Why is stop. this worth money? I made this as a joke." What are you doing, guys? Stop! <laughs> what are you? Stop! <laughs> so stupid. I just oh. I love how he was. He literally admitted that it was a joke. Yeah, well, it was been a joke since the beginning, but now it's yeah. actual. It's really yeah. worth real money. Yeah. Um, next, next in news is this man, the new crypto genius. More news at 11 p.m. tonight. Uh, <laughs> I just put up another guy who looks very similar to the crypto genius, but um, yeah. So, like I said, <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and hide that now, so that way you don't have to see that anymore. But. <laughs> No, I, I, I do. I just going back to what everyone was talking about about the SEC and everything. It, it, in a way, the dream of crypto is a little, it's a little dead. But in mm-hmm. the, I think the longevity of it's going to improve. It's just I think the honeymoon phase is over. Right. Um, I mean, the whole decentralized currency idea. Yeah, the currency technically would be decentralized, but if they yeah. centralize the exchanges to regulate what's coming up as ICOs to protect mm-hmm. people from cons and Ponzi schemes and things like that. Yep. It, Makes it safer. <laughs> yeah, you and Bitcoin have been living together for a little bit. You find out he doesn't always do the dishes, and you kind of he, he like he's the guy that lets the pants soak a little bit later than he should, yeah. and walks away. And like the honeymoon phase is over. It's not all stars and sparkles anymore. Mm-hmm. You're starting to realize who they are. <laughs> next thing you know, you're like, I may not be moving in with this guy next year. <laughs> but yeah, that's that. That's a good way to summarize the crypto market, Ryan. Mm-hmm. I like I like that synopsis mm-hmm. that you had. Um, it's it it's a it's something that it's a wake up call. That's the right. best way to describe that, and it's something that I think that they're going to have to that people are going to have to adjust with, and it may not be as like 
wildly profitable as people may think it is. So it, it'll stabilize a lot. <laughs> it will. Yeah, I, I think so. Definitely. So I'm going to go to this other article real quick, just because I'm not good at multitasking. And um, but we, we wanted to get back onto this other one just because we happened to find a, a topic that we wanted to discuss midway through the show. So what better way to segue this in than as painfully as possible by saying that security researchers find flaws in AMD chips. But um, there's been a lot of raised eyebrows with how they disclosed this. Um, so it was just just bad. This is an interesting so, one. It, it's very, very, very interesting yeah, I really don't know what to think about this. And I don't know, Ryan, if you've heard any of the the news that's come from this or not, but um, maybe you'll have a this, this kind of goes off of what we were talking about with the um, the what's the proper term for it? The ethical disclosure, I think it is. Yeah. Or, yeah. In, think, yeah. Yeah. Like if you find a bug, you give the company time to fix it. And then yes, before. Right. If you're not if if you're not a bad guy. Right. If you're one of the quote unquote white hackers. Right. You're one of the good guys who has the skills to do hacking. But you work for on behalf of these companies, finding vulnerabilities, notifying them in a responsible way, letting giving them enough time. Uh, Typically, it's 90 days of notice to let them know. So that gives them typically enough time to fix any of the vulnerabilities that are found. Mm -hmm. And then you reveal the public information. But by that time, a lot of these problems have already been fixed. So the hackers, if they just learn about that when everyone else does, then if they start attacking, more than likely the, the attack area that they have effect on is much smaller because most people have already updated, right? That's the idea. They have updated their software, whatever it might be, that was the fix for that security flaw that now the, the amount of people who could be affected in theory are now less because there's that the ethical way of notifying these companies of vulnerabilities. But in comes CTS Labs. <laughs> CTS Labs, who might you, may or not may not have... Have uh, you heard of them? I certainly have. <laughs> they seem to be a very well-known security, cybersecurity research outfit from Israel. Oh, yeah. And I very well-known and a well-respected security cyber research lab this is literally the first time i think anybody's ever reported on something they've done yeah so they they popped out of nowhere their website their first popped up of the internet i think at some point last year towards the end of last year right um they're quiet but boy are they tenacious (laughs) (laughs) so they've they published uh how many flaws one two three four flaws or they, mm-hmm. they, according to them, serious flaws related to AMD's I think they spent rise more in time, trips. Yeah, I think they spent more time coming up on the name and branding. The names, the branding, the logos and everything and, and the videos. A dedicated website. Yeah, and, like, of course. They spent more time on this than I think they did giving AMD time to fix these bugs. Um, <laughs> so instead of the typical three months of fashion, yeah. uh, due to claims that they said that this was an issue that could take months, if not years, to resolve, uh, it warranted that they give AMD 24 hours to disclose and fix the bug. So, you know, as with given any self-respecting software, AMD released a public statement saying that they confirmed the bugs and then they're, they're, they, they fixed it within a day. And there goes the perfect world that everybody would have wanted they did not fix the bug because yeah they're too busy like trying to find out if this company's even credit like yeah. is worth its salt 
Right. And so uh, the the catchy fa- fra- uh, names that they have come up with is uh, so that this overall the effect the most recent rise in the GPUs, first one. Before uh, we say them, the first name is really clever. It is so it, it's really clever. I, I like it, it. Is the first one that Matt is referring to is Rise and Fall, <laughs> Master Key, Fallout, and Chimera, um, with each of their own logos uh, that they have, and and uh, of course a dedicated uh, website that uh, is I think amdflaws.com. Great URL. That's great that they got that one. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so this, of course, broke news last week, and a lot of security researchers were looking through the white paper as like, oh yeah, there theoretically it could be possible. But they were like kind of suspicious on the way that they uh, sort of did the alert again because they only gave AMD twenty four hour notice. Uh, then people started digging further and further into what's going on. Who is this actually CTF's labs? Because a lot of the famous like security researchers haven't even, even them haven't heard of of um, uh, of this company uh, before. Um, then they looked at um, there could be some ties into perhaps. Uh, well, just let me back back a little bit. Their wording on their website was very. Written, written in a way that sort of put real fear in whoever was reading it, right? So uh, it, it strongly urged that AMD must pull all these project products off the shelf immediately. Um, uh, this is a huge vulnerability to affect uh, millions of people, and these are serious flaws that might never be able to be fixed. And it really like nailed the like drilled on those points um and it, from the sound of it they really wanted to affect uh amd in terms of their their value and the perception that it has from the public um and later on there's certain certain ties found that some of these people who own ctf's labs might have shorts on amd stock um and uh, if you don't know what shorts are, is when when you short a stock for a particular company, um, you make money when it goes down. You bet against it. You want it to go down, right? So if if CTS Labs not have did have shorts on these stocks before they announced uh, these vulnerabilities to AMD and to the public, then when this news broke, AMD stock crashed. It went down pretty. <laughs> pretty bad mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they made plenty of money if they have if, if they had shorts on those stocks well the initial reports the stocks didn't really go down all that much um but as news kept coming mm-hmm. from this uh kind of lending more credit to the legitimacy of this um i think that kind of caused an issue with um how people how serious people were taking this because um the the issues they describe, well, they like you were saying, they require uh, it's not crazy, um, it's not like too serious in that it requires administrative access to the hardware in order to uh, exploit some of these issues. Um, the fact that um, they did this in such a um, cavalier and like just not, I can't, it's just a cavalier attitude. No. 
kind of does it takes away from the credibility almost and i think that uh and especially when you when you get things like um they didn't publish or disclose any of the technical documents to exploit these issues um they shot an extremely non-technical video on a on with green screen using stock compositive backgrounds placed in instead they, of they, actually yeah, filming yeah, they out whatever just find, their company is. find on any stock video site yeah. whoa no whoa no there's no video quality i can't i can't take their their uh, bugs for you know i can't take it seriously that's it done game over yeah but and and if they can be fixed and if some of them can be fixed in quote months why don't they just wait the quote months before they disclose this publicly yeah. um at least until amd has had time right to go through this and and of course amd in typical fashion has been like not us we don't have that problem and we saw that same issue with specter and meltdown where they were like not us we're not affected by it and we didn't report on this but i think there actually was some impact on ryzen hardware from those breaches or at least the related information around those breaches so amd has always been quick to dismiss this kind of news um but man this is some bad karma for amd for for that kind of stuff um and they're investigating the report um and the fact that um, kind of going back to what i was saying earlier about how it's hard to tell what's true and what's not with this um is that um amd is working on it we're now following a breach that was discovered allegedly a single day before AMD even knew about it. And um, on top of that, now um, now we're stuck debating on whether it's real or not, just because uh, people who have seen the technical papers have said it's legitimate, but that's not public, so people can't vet that. That could just be people um, just saying that just to promote it and to further short the stock of AMD. And then on top of that, you have the green screens and smoke and mirrors of this CTS Labs company <laughs> that came out of yeah. literal nowhere. Yeah. So, I mean, I understand the whole premise that every company has to get a start somewhere, but this is a, a bit bold of a first step for CTS. Also, Labs. one interesting one of the findings, or one of so there's the f- the, the three, uh, the Rise and Fall Massacre Chimera. One of those vulnerabilities. Uh, was very interesting to me. So um, uh, it was actually not a flaw within the the Ryzen processor itself. It was uh, a chipset uh, provided by a third party um, that was that uh, CTS Labs has def- discovered a backdoor put in that chipset um, by accident, deliberately. We don't know yet. Um, that that chipset maker was AS Media. Um, uh, you may may or may not have heard of them. I know that I have a couple chipsets in my computer that are by AS Media, so I might have some backdoors myself on my computer. But <laughs> um, we'll yeah, so we don't know if the, those backdoors they're they're not they're not AMD's fault. They're they were they're just using happen to use those uh, chipsets within. Um, their uh, processor architecture, which just doesn't involve the processor, it involves the chipsets that are on the motherboards. They have to match right according to the specifications mm-hmm. done by AMD, so they have to be used consistent. Um, yeah, those chipsets control a lot of other aspects. Not that the main processor is not just that soul that controls everything. There's a lot of 
um, other components to it. And then this has a particular back door that allows uh, access to uh, low level hardware uh, or privilege, um, right. which is it's kind of interesting on how um, it got passed, who, who uh, put those back doors in. Uh, it is a Taiwanese company, so we don't know if Taiwan has any really uh, ties to any other uh, perhaps uh, Chinese hackers or, oh, or something like that in, in Asia. Didn't um, AMD have issues in the past with backdoors from third-party chip vendors that were helping out with them? Where, uh, the, And I don't know the exact specifics of it, but I know – and I think Intel even had issues with that as well of um, – manufacturers that came from markets in china that had installed backdoors on the various chipsets that are used by this company or by whatever company and next thing you know um, they're trying to quickly change this hardware out to, to address this or to block the backdoor from being a valid thing yeah um, and that's kind of par for the course with dealing with companies that you may not necessarily know what goes into the hardware of the chip. And you can't really expect AMD to, and their R&D department to manufacture all of these chips from the ground up, starting from pure silicon, which would essentially be the only way to guarantee this kind of thing wouldn't happen. Like even Apple is the same way. Apple doesn't actually own the iPhone. Foxconn does. Foxconn sells iPhones to Apple and then Apple sells them at retail to individual users. Foxconn owns those devices, much in the way that um, in the last round of Pixels, AT&T, or not AT&T, HTC and LG own those devices. Like the the first party developer doesn't always directly know what goes exactly into the silicon and into the chips of this hardware. So it's just kind of another unknown that they have to deal with. And um, this seems like it's going to be a disturbing new trend, and not just yep. along the lines of bug bounties, but in terms of corporate, you know, sabotage. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. they learned. They clearly learned from Intel. They saw the Intel stock drop or whatever, <laughs> and so they are. Right, what do we do? We get AMD somehow. Yeah. Plot stuff years in advance. If you're if you're making your own motherboards according to standards, but with built-in secret backdoors and stuff like that. Right. Yeah, and and you can't like you you can't control that as well, and it's. You're going to see it more often now, especially kind of going off of what you were saying, that now there's more attention being put into the security of these things that we've seen and known for so long. Like with Intel and in with the the Spectre and Meltdown hacks, um, I think there are reports of a paper being published in 1995 about how this could be something that could resurface. Um, I think that was discussed on the This Week in Tech podcast. Um, for a quote there but they were saying that it was discussed back then saying oh this could cause issues in the future but it was ignored and that was because of the whole get it done first fix it later mentality of the internet where it was this new magical wonderful thing where we had no idea of the scope and magnitude of what it would become well can you really say much has changed (laughs) i mean there's more memes that's for sure (laughs) there is more memes (laughs) it went from the memes went from uh they went from bob saget's tv show to um the internet (laughs) From his old 90s um, America's Funniest Home Videos. <laughs> oh, yeah. The memes went straight from there to the internet. So, um, but yeah, so, I, and we're going to definitely be following this as it comes along. And if anything interesting develops from this, then uh, we'll um, definitely include this on the show notes because 
there's a lot of unknowns here and there's a, there's more questions and answers with this CTS labs company. And we're not quite sure where it's going to go from there. But, um, also something that's raising a lot of unknowns and, um, something that we actually have, it's, it's a, it's almost fortunate that we, uh, get to discuss this today because this broke probably this after, I think it was middle of this afternoon around like 12 PM, 1 PM when, when it happened, um, we have the first known um, pedestrian death involving a self-driving vehicle. And on this podcast, what better of a company to have had to have owned this car <laughs> than Uber itself? <laughs> so oh, man, um, going back to the, and I feel like a broken record as I keep saying this, but let's reset the clock on days since Uber's <laughs> messed something up to zero. So... Um, this is, uh, this is something that I think all of us who are rooting for self-driving technology either had come to terms that it inevitably would happen as more self-driving cars entered the market, um, and something that would also cause and is causing a lot of public backlash. So, um, it's raising a lot of questions about the safety of the technology, but it's something it's important to note that there were a lot of variables in this as well. So I don't know if you wanted to talk about it, Irvin, or not being a self-driving or a slash semi-autonomous vehicle owner yourself. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm sure that when you're driving around and you have someone who's never been in, you turn autopilot on, they're immediately <laughs> like terrified or very yes, nervous. That's, that's a typical uh, reaction uh, when mm-hmm. I do that in my car. But um, yeah, so this happened uh, late night on Sunday, uh, 10 p.m. local time in Arizona. Um, she was transferred to a nearby hospital where she uh, later died from her injuries. Uh, they're still Uber is still um, actively investigating what happened exactly. They of course halted um, all autonomous vehicle tests uh, from um, the point of the accident till they figure out what what went wrong. Uh, we talked about last I think it was yeah last week we talked about Uber starting to test their uh, trucks, uh, their semis autonomous semis um mm-hmm. of course yeah, those are th- those are halted as well now yeah. um i mean this is um something um that happens we don't know this the exact circumstances um that happened what caused uh, this i know that know uber's something. yeah so we know uber's does have a, a driver behind the wheel so there um, was a person present while this happened yeah so that's I think that's a very important distinction because that means that there was not only software failure but there was human error as well involved right, right. in this. Yeah, right. Because we belief. know right the Waymo we talked about Alphabet's Waymo who's also doing testing in Arizona and the reason all these companies are doing tests in Arizona because Arizona is one of the first states that uh, lifted the rule that allowed these companies to actively start testing uh, self-driving technology. Um, so that's why a lot of these big companies, Uber as well as Google now, or Alphabet, Waymo, um, are now operating these types of services or, or testing, do, doing a lot of testing in Arizona because of that lift in the regulation in that state. Yeah. Um, so we know that, yes, um, uh, someone was behind the wheel, so they could have potentially, for some reason, they, they could have taken over, they could have done something to stop it, but we don't know why. Um, right. they haven't. 
They said the car yeah. was also in autonomous mode, even mm-hmm. though they were at the wheel. Yeah. yeah, and apparently the driver had also received multiple warnings as well prior to the accident. So that information was logged by the car. So um, so it's that driver, I'm pretty sure, isn't going to be an autonomous tester for vehicles much longer, um, at least since Uber, if not because Uber has paused their services, but just because that person is now whether this is up for debate whether directly or indirectly responsible for an accident right uh, my question it, is how easy it, is it to fall asleep in one of those like how long are the shifts for these people that aren't actually driving the car right yeah i'd imagine that they'd have to at least get a, take a break every now and again and like yeah. stretch your legs because even just driving even when yeah. you are actively driving it does get boring very fast just sitting in a car exactly doing absolutely nothing i wish there was more so, information on the, like the shifts and stuff how that job actually or how they operate operate you know yeah he had to have been asleep i mean if you receive multiple warnings that's what it seems like <laughs> like uh, unless he was like actively suppressing the warnings or like testing the vehicle to see what it would do in that case yeah. like um they, they're this could go in many different ways and i think it's important that when press reports this they get the facts right on that in that there was a person present, the vehicle did log warnings. There was a lot of red flags that were out there when this happened. And it's this is just another uh, step. We've seen reports of autonomous vehicles getting into accidents, but this is the first actual fatality that was directly right. the result of a vehicle in autonomous mode. And, um, and while um, a lot of people will be quick to point to that fact, uh, you could, I'm pretty sure, alternatively state that how many times have autonomous vehicles gone for rides in fully autonomous mode and not caused any fatalities? Yeah. Like the ratio of, I think if you were to put it into a ratio, I'm pretty sure the, the human error would outweigh the machine error, you know, by a large number. So, and, um, it's something that, and, and of course, uh, Dara Kasparshahi, and I spent so long getting his name right <laughs> before the first show when they had initially hired him. Um, he has handled this extremely well, uh, tweeting and making public statements saying that they're keeping the families, the victim's family in, in their thoughts while they investigate and they're fully cooperating with authorities. And um, they, I, I think so far that he's he's handled it as best as as the company like this could, because this is something that people feared would happen, I think. So, and like you were saying, Alphabet, General Motors, Uber, Baidu, um, they're all working on this. And of course, the hat, the the raffle drawn from the hat landed on Uber on the first fatality that would have happened. So, um, yeah. and, I, and like you were saying, Irvin, there's a lot of things that... Um, when you have these self-driving cars that are unexpected or like may not be something that they anticipate. And there's been like even uh, Alphabet's Waymo, they've joked about um, encountering an elderly woman in a uh, electric scooter chasing ducks around in the street, like while their autonomous vehicle was driving around and the vehicle just stopped because it didn't know what to do in that scenario. So it waited for a human driver to intervene and get the car out of that situation. Because um, I'm pretty sure that not only an autonomous vehicle, but most of us probably haven't encountered that type of a scenario in the roads of <laughs> <laughs> an elderly woman in an electric scooter chasing ducks around. Yeah, um, I, I do got to say one thing though, because I mean, I, I know autonomous cars—they are the future, and it's, it's going to be pretty widely accepted. And I think in the end, 
it will significantly reduce road fatalities like because that's mm -hmm. one of the main points one of the main drivers but i'm also very very glad that i'm not in arizona <laughs> i'm not being beta tested with these things <laughs> yeah like I, I, that also makes me question arizona's state legislature like why did they lift the ban first was there a little corporate incentive yeah. Or does it make you want to live in Arizona because they have they have perfect roads? There's the other thing right there. And boring <laughs> driving scenarios uh, yeah. in such a way where it's perfect for if a machine can do it, then you definitely can too. <laughs> so yeah, maybe, you, maybe, you, you, can, yeah. You, can, you can spin that either way. But uh, true. <laughs> but uh, when when push comes to shove, though, this is a new technology, and um, there's there's a little bit of a call to get these technologies and these companies to slow down a little bit in their deployment of self-driving vehicles. And while I, I'm hesitant to tell them to slow down, I do agree in that we need to make sure that this is safe for people before it works. I think that with, especially with this whole episode's focus being about exploits and breaches due to um, ignorance from the company's aspect. I think that self-driving vehicles, and I don't. I think I don't. Not only speak for myself, but I think I speak for at least several people that these companies need to get it right the first time. Yeah, there's yeah. There, the tolerance for failure is quite low. You're I mean, going, yeah, you're, yeah. You're going from personal identifiable information to directly impacting human lives. Yeah. So right. So. Even though, like you, some a lot of people do the comparison, like oh, one person died from a self-driving car. Even though, like I don't know the exact metric, but probably thousands of people died today from a car accident, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, but that, that that didn't make the news, but one accident from a self-driving car did. That's, that's not the point. That, yes, that's not the point. That's that's mm -hmm. type. That's the type of scrutiny we need because we, if you want these things to be really safe. We want to make sure that they're going to work 100% of the time, although we might never even reach the 100%, but we want to get to 99.99999% there. Yeah. We might not get to 100, but... Right. I think there's always going to be the potential for fatal accidents yeah, in self-driving vehicles. The machinery is built by humans. There will always be potential for human error, but it will be significantly reduced compared to just every schmuck on the road right now. Right, right. yeah. And like this, this may not stop people from just wandering out in the street and getting hit by an autonomous vehicle that was on a road whose posted speed limit is 45 miles an hour. It may not be able to react in time. But then again, in that scenario, most people can't react in that kind of a time. So those scenarios, whether human or autonomous, are unavoidable in accidents. So like you're saying, we're going to get to that. It's going to look like a bacteria advertisement where it's like an antibiotic advertisement where it kills 99.999999% of all car accidents. I, I welcome that. I welcome that. Yeah. Hey, the, the, the less drunk people we have on the road driving, um, the safer it is for people, right? If you have these autonomous cars, they just get in, get home, get home safe, right? Reduce yep. that risk. I'm, I'm all for never that. Never sit in traffic. Yeah, never <laughs> sit in traffic. You could do work. You do work, watch a movie, sleep. As long as whatever. we don't invent robot alcohol, I'm okay with that. Robot alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> There's potential for a lot of things. Yeah. Not, not so, necessarily alcohol or anything, but you know, data breaches and other things that we've been talking about. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. But um, this is just the first of. Uh, I'm. A, I'm. I, I worry when I say that, but the first of several on our way to uh, fully achieving autonomous vehicles. I think there's going to be a couple more accidents on this road. Not to not to make a, a crappy pun, but it's I'm numbers along. 
yeah it's a, num- it's a numbers it's a numbers game but we got to make sure we play it right yeah like a, it's something like a you can't stress it enough you got to get it done right the first time so and there's no other real way to to say that but um but with that uh if anybody had anything any more closing points i think that brings us to the end of the show nope all right wow how about that we made it through this is this is one of the more exciting episodes i think that, that we've was. had yeah a lot of a lot of good topics yeah big week in news yeah so yeah, but um, if if any of our listeners, if any of you guys liked what you heard or wanted to hear more, uh, Jerry. you may have, you may, you may have uh, stolen a friend's iPhone or borrowed their device or listening with them on a car ride or something. Uh, when the vehicle gets to a safe destination, I encourage you to visit Podbean uh, at industry40.podbean.com. That's industry40 all spelled out. Um, if you don't, like Podbean's user interface, which I don't know why you wouldn't. It's fantastic. You can check us out on Google Play and iTunes at Industry 4.0. Um, you can check us out on Stitcher at i4o. Um, and if none of them tickle your fancy and you like catching us live and catching the news as it happens from us, you can find us on Twitch at Industry 4.0, all spelled out, or our active to semi-active, depending on the day of the week. Uh, Facebook and Twitter accounts at Industry 4.0, spelled the same, all spelled out. Um, you can check us out there. And also, I do encourage anybody to leave us a review on any one of those platforms because it does help us spread our reach and it helps us uh, improve and learn what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. And also, we just like hearing from you guys. Um, every, every once in a while, somebody will comment on a post we have and I'll get super excited just because people are liking the news that we that we find interesting. So it's exciting to me. But um, there's um, some other things that are exciting to other people in our podcast, um, particularly the music on this show, which is produced by our very own Jeff Budzinski at SoundCloud.com slash The J-Bones. Um, you can check out his new tune on there called Ascent. Um, I've listened to it myself and can confirm 10 out of 10, perfect five <laughs> out of seven. It's a great, it's a great song. Yes, uh, <laughs> um, and speaking of the man who just spoke, you can enjoy the photography of Ryan Thompson at flickr.com slash photos slash Wayne R. Thompson. Um, and if Flickr is not your, not your cup of tea. You can always go to Wayne Ryan 21 on Instagram. Check him out there. Assuming you haven't deleted your Instagram along with your Facebook. <laughs> um, and also none other than Irvin Lucas as well. You can check out his Instagram at Irvin.Lucas. Um, and I know you got some interesting stuff going on over there. So I encourage anybody to go check that out. You guys are doing some good work there. So, um, but as for that, that brings us to the end of the show, believe it or not. Um, another late night, nice little throwback. Yeah, a little, little, little throwback to the back of the good old days, the early <laughs> early days. We got our roots. Our, we got yeah. back to our roots. Yeah, back to our <laughs> roots. Now all we need is a Kyle play out for the second half. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Your beautiful voice on the next episode. So. <laughs> all right. Um, this has been episode forty-three, and thank you for joining us today. And I'll see you guys next week. Bye.